Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may be seated. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And from those words from Peter, we get our title for the sermon today, Fear God, Honor the King. Fear God, Honor the King. 21 years ago, just right about now, our government was quite busy in being and for Days and months and years after, they were very busy about being a terror to the evil, to those men who had um, launched terror attacks on our country. Like you know, uh, that first plane slammed into the World Trade Center at 8.45 that morning, 21 years ago today. And that was an excellent, uh, that was an example of the truth of Scripture, uh, how our government responded in that they are a terror to the evil. And they were ministering for, they were ministering, the Bible says, for our good, for their, so that there wouldn't be more people killed and wouldn't be more people needing to suffer at the hands of evil men. Fear God, honor the king. And as I think... As we think back of that, you may have thought about that already this morning, that 21 years ago event, since the youth aren't here, most of us can remember that. Then there's another thing uh, on the agenda of a lot of people, it's getting to be kind of uh, high on the agenda, there's an election in two months, less than two months, and... Lots of people are very concerned about our country. And so we think about our government a lot, and it just seems like it would have been proper to talk about that today. Thank you, Glenn, for reading that passage in Romans 13 so well. So we're thinking back to 9-11. We're thinking forward to the election, we're thinking about our government and the concerns, and then let's also think about this, that the Bible has ordained four 
orders or human relationships. Let me try to explain. Oh, you know, it's the home and the church and the workplace and the government. Those four orders, especially the New Testament at different and various places, talks about and gives directives for how we are to behave within those orders. So in Ephesians 5 and 6, the Bible gives a lot of, of truth about how the husband is to relate to his wife and the wife to the husband. Chapter 6 in Ephesians, we go on and see that the children have responsibilities, as does the, do the fathers. Uh, we can read about uh, workplace, both the employer, and responsibilities of the employer and the employees, and so on. And the fourth one, of course, is the government, and there, we just notice a number of responsibilities there in Romans 13, 1 through 7. God, in his sovereignty and in his wisdom and in his providence, arranged all that. And without these orders, headship orders, or at times of poorly functioning orders, there's a predictable result. When those orders aren't well followed, there's disorder and there's discord and there's often discouragement. But on the other hand, when these orders are functioning well, when, when humans are functioning well under the orders that God has ordained so beautifully, then there is order. Yeah, order and harmony and beauty and safety and security, all kinds of good things that everyone is looking for. And I would just also want to especially emphasize that Everyone's looking for that and wanting those qualities, but we cannot produce them of our own. Only, to the fullest extent, only Christians, only those who have named the name of the Lord, only those who are filled with the Spirit can, or can well live in response to these orders. We can't produce those effects by ourselves. We've probably tried, haven't we? But no, it takes the ministry and the Holy Spirit leading, and we thank God for, for just that. So as we think about our res responsibility and our response to the gov our government, we'd especially like to look at three passages today, three New Testament passages. You hopefully are at one of them, Romans 13, and then in a little while we'll get to 1 Timothy 2, and then a little later to um, 1 Peter 2.17. So I, if you, you would want to be looking at all three of those, maybe keeping your fingers or bookmark at, at a couple of those, those three especially, Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Peter 2. We'd especially like to notice the subject's responsibility first, especially thinking today of we as subjects under our government, under our rulers, is the term that's used in Romans 13, rulers, verse 3, or the powers that be, verse 1. Our 
we as subjects, all of us are subjects under that, those higher powers, under our uh, political, governmental rulers, and we're, what is our responsibility? How are we to do? What does the Bible say? Well, and two major points that I'm thinking of. The first one is this, that our, the subject's responsibility, our responsibility is to separate from the government or from part within the government. All right? We as separate, as subjects under the government uh, are called biblically to separate from it. So we, we believe that the Bible certainly teaches that we refrain from voting and certainly from public protests or even private protests, from office holding and those kind of things. Why do we say that? Where in the Bible does it say thou shalt not hold political office or thou shalt not be involved in the government? Well, it doesn't write out loud like that, that I'm aware of. But there are just a number of points uh, that we see biblically that lead us to the conclusion that the best thing that we as subjects can do is to separate ourselves from involvement within the government. First point that I'd like to make is that That in all of these orders, the four that we had just talked about, the home, the church, the workplace, and the government, the Bible for each of those talk, gives responsibility for both sides, the husband and the wife, the, the parents and the children, the employer and the employee. But when it comes to the government, only responsibilities are given for the subjects. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing that the Bible and instructive, isn't it instructive that the Bible does not give any orders to the government? Think about that. That is very significant, I think, in our understanding that the Bible really teaches that we separate from involvement with the government. Secondly, I'm thinking about how that the principles governing the government and governing the rulers and governing the subjects are so different, so vastly and completely different. Just one example is in Romans 12, you're at Romans 13. In Romans 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. And then in Romans 13, just a few verses further on, I can't find that word, revenge. It must be in, in verse, uh, yes, in ver- close to the end of verse 4. Romans 13, 4, it says that the government is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath. How opposite and different is that? If we look at the Strong's Concordance, those are very, very similar words, avenge and revenge. God's people not to avenge, but God has set up that the government is rightly, as a minister of God, to be a revenger. It looks like we should, like there's no um, 
correlation between the two. They need to be separated if one is not to avenge and the other is to. Number three, kind of similar, but if we are not to avenge, chapter 12, and if we... Not to be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. We are to love our enemies. The, bio, the New Testament is full of those kind of things. How then can we take uh, the sword of the government, on one hand to love, these, love everybody, and, and on the other hand execute judgment on them with the sword? How incongruous, how, how impossible is that to obey the mandate of Scripture, the commands of Scripture, within the, being involved in government? Number four, interesting, I think, that Romans 12, speak, look at the pronouns. Verse four, we. Verse five, we. Verse six, us. Verse seven, us. And you can see it in other ones, your, in other verses further down in Romans 12, your, you, thine. It's speaking, speaking to Christians for, yes. Chapter 13, on the other hand, he is the minister of God. They are God's ministers. He beareth not the sword in vain, and so on. Notice the pronouns. It makes it rather, quite clear, I think, that the subjects are the folks in the church save people separate from the government. Number five is the, is the example of the early church who refused participation in the military and in government. Certainly so. Those five uh, subject. One of our responsibility as Christian subjects, uh, church. Going, yes, Christian, Christian members of the Church of Jesus Christ is to separate from involvement in the government. Secondly, going on now to the second responsibility, the subject's responsibility, number one is to separate, number two is to support. And again, we're only talking about the subject's responsibility today, our responsibility to our government, because that's the only... That's how the Bible speaks of it. It doesn't give responsibilities and orders to the government. The second one, yes, is to support our government. And at first glance, you might think, I might think, how can we be separate and yet support? Well, I think so. The scripture is quite clear and gives positive directives on how not to support the gov our government, our government, the government that's over us in whatever time or place that we live. We here today are, are living right now. We are in America, the, our government. And turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy 2, and we'll be looking at the first two verses. We're thinking about how to support. What does the Bible say about supporting our government? I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, 
for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Isn't that something? For the first of all, prayers. For all men, interestingly, and then going from the from the overarching principle of everyone, then Paul says, for the government. It would seem to us like he might say, for everyone, for the government, for the church, for... But he only especially doubles down on our government. For kings and for all that are in authority. Interesting, I think. We are to support godly, our Christian people are to support our government, whatever government we are, find ourselves under as subjects by praying for them. Not only that, but do you see again? Praying, uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Four kinds of prayer. Uh, Paul doesn't just say prayer, but he gives some details of kinds of prayer. One of our responsibilities as Christians living here in the United States today is to pray for the government that God has placed over Yes, that God has placed over us. Pray. What are those kinds of prayers? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Four kinds. Let's talk about them just a little bit. What are supplications? What is a, how does one pray by supplication? Well, from what I understand, supplication means entreaty or petition in a humble manner. Supplications, to entreaty or petition in a humble manner. Supplications, we pray that God would supply the needs. Supplications comes, that word comes from the same root word, I think, as supply. To supplicate is to pray, to ask God that he would supply needs of other people. So we are to make supplications to God that God would supply the needs of our government. Supplications. Please, Lord, supply the needs that our government has. Can you think of any, any needs that our present government might have? It's pretty easy to sit here and think about needs that they might have, all kinds of needs. It's easy to look in and say, yes, they have needs. The president does, the vice president does, the cabinet official, and on down the list. Needs, all kinds of needs that they have. And we are called, as God's people, to support our government by supplicating, making supplications, Lord, please supply their needs. This little booklet, Non-Resistance, God's Plan for the Church, by John Koblenz. And you might know John Koblenz. Maybe you've read some of his books. Maybe you remember when he was here for a series of meetings a number of years ago. Maybe you sat under his teaching at Faith Builders, John Koblenz. I would just like to read and quote from him a little bit extensively here as we think about this. Follow along if you can. 
now again to the Christian has been given the task of taking these, those needs to God. That means while our rulers are struggling to balance budgets, fight inflation, decrease unemployment, negotiate foreign relations, control crime, and shape legislation, the Christian is to pre be presenting his ruler's needs to his sovereign God. Now, the startling thing about this is that if the Christian neglects his duty, it does not get done. No one else will supplicate God on the behalf of civil rulers. No one else will bring their needs to him. And thus, when Christians neglect supplications for rulers, bills are passed. Wall, I'm sorry, laws are, en are enacted. Policies are set without ever having a hearing in the high court of heaven. We are to support our government by praying for them. One way that we pray is that we make supplications for those in who are the higher powers. Further, he goes on to say, Thinking, still thinking about making supplications, praying that God would supply the needs of our government officials. Mr. Koblenz says, Herein most Christians instead have adopted the thinking and attitude of unre unregenerate men, pessimism, criticism, skepticism. Complaint to one another has replaced supplication to God. One thing is certain, we cannot say we have nothing to bring to God. From any normal newspaper and indeed from many casual conversations, a Christian could complete a lengthy supplication list for rulers. If we don't do it, no one will. And to me, it was just kind of convicting once again that Mr. Koblenz would say, um, we're more prone, is this true for you as it is for me? We're more prone to be skeptical and down in the mouth and all kinds of complaints. God's plan is not that, but supplications for the needs of our government. Let's think about the word prayers as it's given there in 1 Timothy 2, 1. All prayer, is, but especially maybe the term prayers there, is recognizing God for who he is. And rulers generally, I make that a general term, general statement here, rulers generally don't or won't or can't do that, certainly not as well as Christians, as those who are of the bride of Christ. Lots of things to pray for. Besides praying for the needs, pray that, that our government officials could recognize God for who he is. Recognize that God is the sovereign. Recognize that God is over all. Pray that God and the fear of God could fall upon our legislators and rulers. Prayers, prayers, supplications, but prayers as well. And then there's intercessions. Intercessions is, an, is again, an appeal for another. Yeah. Similar to supplications, but an appeal for someone else. Not praying for me, myself, and my needs. Not just praying for 
our needs with, within, but thinking of others outward. We do well to intercede for their safety. Really, they have dangerous jobs. Many of the officials do. Certainly they do. Pray and intercede for their salvation. Intercessions. And then giving of thanks. And as I think of that, I think of my grandpa, uh, Grustody Byler, we called him. Chris Byler. You might remember him. Um, he was one who loved to give thanks. He was a grateful person. And not, not the kind that was always criticizing and complaining and bad-mouthing others, but thankfulness. And especially so in this of our government. Is that something that you're good at? Thanking God for the particular government that you have now. Thanking God for the particular president that is over us. And for the particular vice president and all the cabinet officials. And thanking the Lord that it's Mr. Wolf who is our governor just now, and so on. Brothers and sisters, that's what we've been called to. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We might say Paul um, didn't really have a handle on what we're experiencing. Um, he must have been under some benevolent government, and we know even as we think that and say that, that that was completely wrong. Who was the emperor of Rome at that point? None other but probably one of the very worst, one of the very most ungodly, one of the most wicked, Nero himself. And Paul, being a Jewish man, Jewish as he was, under one of the worst governments, says that, commands that. And I just read that once again so that, so that God's Spirit can just um, impress that upon us again. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So we have that choice, don't we? What kind of Christians are we? Um, we often think, or kind of think, at least subconsciously, that um, what kind of rulers do we have? I think a better thought, a better mode of action would be, what kind of Christians are we? What kind of Christians do our rulers have? Is a better, Christ, a better question than to, say, than to ask, what kind of government do we American Christians have? Um, you know, um, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and so on, or Joe Biden. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2 is for any and all, every and all. And I ask again, what kind of Christian am I? What kind of Christian are you when it comes to this of supporting our government and of praying for them? 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. And I feel at this point like the disciples when they came to Jesus that one day and they had one question especially that they needed help on. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. I feel like adding to that just a little bit. I, oh, Lord, teach me to pray rightly about our government. So we've been called to prayer. And I think that it would be kind of neat if we would pray um, for our government. We always uh, have prayer after the sermon. So let's think about that and praying, especially if that the prayer after the sermon today would be for our government. And I am looking at you three brothers, uh, Sean and Gordon and Matt. I just noticed you sitting there. How would it be if at prayer time, if, uh, if Mel brings the the mic to you if you would pray for our government today. Sean, how about you praying especially for the executive branch, you know, uh, the president, vice president, his cabinet? And Gordon, how about you, the legislative one, you know, Congress, uh, the, the Pennsylvania or South Carolina? And if you, Matt, would especially pray for the judicial branch, the judges, justices, and so on. If you just want to think about that, if you want to name names, uh, we'll call on you at the end of the sermon to lead in prayer. Thank you. But prayer is not the only support that the Bible asks his people to give to our our government, but there's also that of obeying. You know, pray, obey. Where in the Bible does it say that we are to obey our government? You know, I don't think it does. But it goes real well with pray, obey. So we'll use that term. It does say that we are to obey our rulers that are over us in the church, but it doesn't say that we are to obey our rulers, our political leaders, our government. And with that, would you turn to 1 Peter 2.13 and see what Peter says on this subject of government. 1 Peter 2.13, and when you get there, you will maybe notice the very first word in 1 Peter 2.13, submit. So the Bible doesn't say that we are to obey, but it does say that we are to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And then just in case we don't quite get it, he says, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now that's all quite plain, is it not? It's not hard to understand. It's very clear. But the question is, what does submit mean? To submit. We are called to support our government, not only by praying for them, but to obey, or in this case, submit. Submit. So what does submit mean? Submit means, oh, in short, as best as I can explain it, it simply means that letting someone else decide. Letting someone else have the last word. Allowing others to decide, even when it's not 
in my best interests or if, whether it fits my agenda or whether it's convenient for me, it's allowing others to submit. Um, I think the Amplified Bible says to submit means to adapt yourselves, adapt to other folks, allowing other people to go ahead, to have the right to make decisions, and so on. Someone else has said, I think Larry Christensen said, that submit means to yield humble and intelligent obedience to an ordained power or authority. We understand, don't we? I think we do. Submit. Submit. And the Bible says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, to, for the, to the kings and to governors, and so on. Submit submit. So obedience would be following all the hunting laws when you go out into the woods in October, November, December, right? Following all the laws. But submission builds on obedience. For one to submit themselves in the deer woods, that would mean not complaining about the stipulations that the game commission set up only one deer at a time. You know, there's a submission goes deeper than obedience. One can be obedient like a little child without being submitted, submitted, submitted. Right? He could a little child. Dads and moms know about this. Can obey with a snoot, and that's obedience. But when one is submissive, then they'll have a happy face and a happy heart as well, right? So, it's possible to obey without submitting, but is it possible to submit without obeying? Probably not. Submission. And again, we're especially thinking of that in the sphere and in the arena of governmental authority. John Koblenz, again. Not quite ready for John Koblenz. Moving now to 1 Peter 2, 17. Four, four verses further down. You're already at 1 Peter 2, 13. 1 Peter 2, 17. Remember the title? Fear God, honor the king. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So maybe the Bible doesn't say that we need to obey the king, but it does say that we submit to the government, and it does say that we are to honor them. Obey, submit, honor. What does that mean, honor? Well, it means to esteem and value as precious. And again, that's from the Amplified Bible. To esteem and honor as precious. Did you know that the government that you are under as a subject is actually a very precious thing to you? That's what the Bible says. Honor the king. The Hebrew word literally means heaviness, to give weight to, to hold us significant and worthy. And Warren Wiersbe chimes in and says that it's more, honor is more than simply obeying, but respect. Seek to bring honor to them by how we live. Oh, yeah. 
seek not only to value and esteem as precious, yes, it is that. Our government is that. Our government is that precious. It's a precious thing. But going on, um, Mr. Wearsby says it's to bring honor not only in our thought processes, but by how we live. And what do you think of a statement like this? The giving of honor is more dependent on the heart of one honoring than the life of the one being honored. Do you think maybe I should read that again so that we get it a little better? The giving of honor is more dependent on the heart of one honoring than the life of the one being honored. Since God commands honor to the king... And he, God, is perfectly honorable. Obedience and honor can be given to imperfect government officials as obedience unto God. And I think we should change, I think we really should change one word in that and say, since God commanded honor to the king, and he, God, is perfectly honorable, obedience and honor, we said, can be given. I kind of think we should insert another word there. Obedience and honor must be given to imperfect government officials as obedience unto God. We're talking about obeying. We're talking about submitting and honoring our government. Do you think that one can honor their government and speak disrespectfully about them? Do you think one can honor their government and disobey the laws that they have enacted? And as I think about all that again, we're supporting our government in prayer, pray, and also in the obey part, I think again, what kind of Christians do our government officials have? Are they the Christians that our government is over? The Christians in this land, are they supplicators or are they sarcastic? Are they prayers or gossipers? The Christians here, are they interceders or critics? Are they thankful or complaining? The third part that we'd like to just touch on about supporting our government. So the subjects are to be separate, but they are also to be supporting. Supporting by prayer, support by, by pray, and support by obey. And you know that the third one, back to Romans 13, verses 6 and 7. Remember what's been said there? Uh, what God is commanding? Glenn read that. Let, let me just read it again. For, for this cause pay... Oh, yeah, there it is. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually unto this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Not only to pray, our responsibility 
to support our government is not only to pray and not only to obey, but also to pay tribute, taxes. Yep, pay. Right out of this little pocketbook that's so hard for us to open at times and very easy for us to open at other times. Pay, Romans 13, 6 and 7. Pay tribute. And I get the idea, uh, I think John Phillips said this, that tribute has to do with um, yearly taxes like the income taxes and property taxes and all those kind of taxes. And custom has to do more, was kind of more like our sales tax. And I read a quote from one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, who said many years ago, a couple thousand, almost a couple thousand, um, Tertullian remarks that what the Romans lost by the Christians refusing to bestow gifts on their temples, they gained by their conscientious payment of taxes. I think that's interesting. I, I think that's enlightening. And then John Phillips goes on to say this, on this subject of paying. Now, you know, if we like to hear what people like John Koblenz would say, we know him a little bit, we appreciate him, he's a Mennonite. But here's John Phillips, who you don't know, and I don't know, and we've never met, and he wouldn't be exactly our brand of Christian. Uh, but I think it's interesting that he goes on to say this. Paul does not enter into the rights and wrongs of the taxation system. He simply tells Christians that a nation's leader have a right to monetary support, therefore they must pay their taxes. That's not hard to understand either, is it? Just like Romans 13, 6 and 7 is not hard to understand. We as God's people have been called to be honest on our tax returns, uh, to pay that which it is, that which we owe our government to pay in a grateful and an honest and a quiet and peaceable way. The early church, their commitment to these kind of pro, uh, concepts and this, this truth that we've been talking about today brought them before kings and they were suffered at their hands, oftentimes. And we think of many periods in church history. And for us, well, we have it real easy here at the moment. Our responsibility to our government, wonderful government that God has blessed us with, is that we value them, that, yes, that we pray for them and that we obey the rulers that God has set up over us, and that we pay exactly what we owe. For all of that, for the Lord's sake. Thank you. Uh, I'm so grateful as I think of all this. I've been so convicted in some of these things. Um, I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And might we just be us here today, might we just be the very best kind of citizens um, for the Lord's sake until he comes for us.
Now, I think we're ready for prayer here. Uh, let's stand for prayer. And you three brothers, I think the mic is coming. And you just go ahead and lead in prayer. And then, Matt, when you're finished, I will close.